if you'll pray with me for the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Bob, I got to steal two minutes of your sermon, please. Bear with me. I know it. I, I want to thank everybody out there. I love every one of you. Y'all's prayers before and even today. I went and had a CT this week and blood work, and the, my cancer doctor says, You are cancer free. Amen. So, so, the future will tell, but I don't think it's ever going to come back. I'm still su- suffering for some, uh, some ulcers that got into me during this. During the time I was over there, and they're, they're still bothering me, but I get them taken care of. I'm boy, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let me tell you one quick story about prayer. What prayer does, y'all don't probably may not realize it. I went to church a couple weeks ago down at my son's in um, Johnson City, Tennessee, and <clears throat> during the meet and greet, a lady came up to me I've never seen in my life. Came up and grabbed a hold of me and hugged me, and she says, "I am so glad to see you up and looking so good." And I said, "Wow." She said, "I prayed so hard for you in December in January. You don't know." I don't even know this lady. She was praying for me because my son was there. And I tell you what, when you pray for people, whether we know them or not, those prayers work. I I had so many prayers going for me, it's unbelievable. People have come to me afterwards. So don't ever stop praying for people. We've got a lot of people we need to pray for. But uh, number one, thank you, thank you, thank you. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. Can you imagine putting your head on a stone to sleep? I guess my pillow wasn't done by then. (laughs) Anyway, and he dreamed there was a ladder set up to the earth, up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. And he took the stone that he had put on his head. And set it up as a pillar. Not a pillow. As a pillar. And poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go. And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. So that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth to you. So I guess tithing comes in right at the end there. Uh, the word of God for the people of God.
Uh, I, do, I do want to, before I begin, thank the choir members. Of course, we had combined choirs all this week, and many of these folks came all three nights, and they practice hard, they work hard, and I just appreciate this choir so much, uh, led by joy, and uh, we're a real blessing. If you came to any of the nights, you'll know that the nights here, the singing was perhaps the best I've ever heard. Uh, it was fantastic. And then Wednesday night, the music night of revival, uh, we had the choir and then Michael Berkeley and one family band all just, it, was it just flowed, be- yeah, the spirit was in that place and the spirit was here and uh, we're so thankful for that. But I'll begin with a, an account of a wedding. The ceremony came to that point where the uh, pastor said, uh, let you speak now if you have any reason why this couple should not be joined in marriage or forever hold your peace. And there was that moment of silence that comes, and it was broken by a beautiful young woman standing, holding a little baby, and she began to walk forward. The congregation was aghast, but quiet, so you could almost hear a pin drop. The groom's jaw dropped as he stared in disbelief at the approaching young woman and child. And then chaos ensued. The bride threw the bouquet into the air and burst out crying. The groom's mother fainted. The groomsmen started giving each other looks and wondered how to save the situation. And finally, the minister asked the woman, Can you tell us why you have come forward? What do you have to share? There was absolute silence in the church. Then the woman said clearly and simply, we cannot hear you in the back. (laughs) I say that for those of you in the back, I hope you can hear this morning. And I hope you guys can hear. I know you heard this because you're laughing. They're always telling me that they can't hear, and yet they heard it. Yeah, or you're just laughing because others are laughing. Maybe that's it. No, because hmm? you have that mic. We can oh, because of the mic. Well, I asked that. They said, no, it doesn't matter the mic or whatever. We can't hear you. It's obstinate, obstinate hearts. Hard hearts cannot hear the word of the Lord. Just doesn't get through to them. Okay, yeah, Tony. Okay, all right. Well, the, the point of that story and sharing that is that things aren't always as they seem. Sometimes we make huge assumptions. Have you ever gone to a church because their first impression was the building? Many people have said that they drove by our church and they saw the beautiful landscaping. And they thought, well, there's a church that cares about their church. But it's very possible that it could be a church that only cared about its landscaping. That, that we were just hung up on landscaping. That was our thing. But people very often judge by the outward appearance. And the, the fact of the matter is that the greatest, most beautiful cathedral in the world can be morally bankrupt. And the couple, the beautiful couple uh, who have that mansion on the hill with the gorgeous view of the mountains may be the unhappiest couple in town. <coughs> And this week I've been thinking a lot about homecoming and that word home. What does it mean to have a home? How do you define home? And you know, very often we, 
we use, we use the two words interchangeably, home and house. We'll say, I'm going home, and we mean I'm going to the house. But there's something there that makes the house a home. And too often, I think, in our culture, we have been to put too much emphasis on the physical house, calling it a home, when in reality, it's not a home. There are many broken homes. There are many places, many, many buildings, many houses, that there's no sense of love within it. And, and, and some of that overemphasis today, you can see if you watch HGTV and some other uh, shows on TV, where you've got all the uh, uh, rental, uh, everything from rental uh, shows about uh, people going and trying to rent a house, especially overseas, to people uh, trying to rehab a house, remodel a house. Uh, you got uh, shows about people flipping houses. They buy the house, they fix it up, they flip it. You have love it or leave it, you know, where the couple doesn't agree. So, uh, you know... One, one wants to stay in the house. They have strong affection and connection to this house. But they know that the house is, is not sufficient for their needs. Maybe they've got ten children and they've got two bedrooms. You know, whatever. But so somebody comes along and tries to fix the house, to remodel it in a way that it will meet those needs, while at the other time the other half of the couple is going out with the realtor trying to find a new house. So the question is, what will the couple decide in the end, will they love the new house or will they leave uh, the new remodeled house or will they leave it for another house? I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that done with human beings, couples. Love it or leave it, you know, where, where, where the couples are put in there and so they go out and they date other people. No, I don't want to see that, but, uh, you know, go on, go on, love them or leave them. But, but to tell you the truth, I'm sure that show has been pitched and probably is on someplace. But we've got all these shows that are focused on the physical house, and people talk about how this physical house can make a great home. And I know that physical surroundings can influence things. I also know that you cannot have a happy home just by having a great house. And so the question for this morning, as we're here in our spiritual home, is what makes this a home for us, as opposed to just a sanctuary and a church building? But one of the things I did this week, just kind of doing research, I kind of got into my head and I walked around our house and I said, what are the things here that identify this as a home? What, are, what is the predominant theme of our house, which we kind of say these are what we hold to be important, the surroundings we want around us, those surroundings that we want in order to feel at home. And so I, I brought a container today. I don't know if Lydia missing, noticed things missing from the house this morning. <laughs> she, she didn't come in and say, we've been robbed. So, but I picked just a few things. And, and, and they gave clues to me about what we hold important. First of all, uh, a house can be a place of great memories. And by the way, a lot of people talking afterwards, we were talking about and said, you know, if I go back to my house, to, of, of the, to the house of my childhood, it just makes me sad. You know, our thought is that we could go back and all these memories would, would come back, and they can, but at the same time, the realization that the people who made it special aren't there anymore can rush in too. 
especially if you go back and your house has been torn down (laughs) or if it's been remodeled in a way or just changed over. But that can be a pretty shocking thing. But we still try to gather around us every time we've moved. And I've figured up that I've lived in nine different houses, not including college, dorms, and things, but nine different houses in my life. And I know Lydia's back there going through her head. She's going to try to figure that out, how I came up with nine. I came up with nine houses that we've been in. But we always take these haul these things along with us, and we hang them up on the walls. And, uh, for instance, a picture, here's a picture when we had our farm, and it's a picture, there's 11 of us, and somehow we were able to convince these people to come and help us fix this farm that had been uh, part of it blown down by a storm. And so they came over, and we had a big party and, and went in, and uh, fortunately some of them had nail guns, so it made it much quicker. But, uh, but that's, a, that's a special Memory for me. Uh, also, um, my dad's hat, and we got a hat of Lydia's dad. We've got my son's hat from uh, from uh, when he was at the academy. We got my mom's hat. Okay, uh, she loved gardening, and this has like uh, some kind of bug flying around on it. But I, we've got a picture of her wearing this hat, which, by the way, if you're thinking, I wonder if Bob's head is the same size as his mom's head. That's, that's how that thing fits. No, no, my head's... And she wasn't a small lady, but uh, I don't know how she got her head in there. So uh, this is a souvenir from Haiti. This is just a dried up uh, leaf from a tree with beans inside it. Uh, I think that, that was probably 1981, around then when I got that. Um, We've got books everywhere. Books are important to me, and I know uh, Lydia would probably like to have fewer books. Occasionally, we, we haul off books, and we have books and boxes put away. But I thought this was appropriate because it's a book called The Making of Books. Okay, so, and I had this, I, I checked in here. I've had this for a pretty long time. It's got my, my little library from the library of Robert Weeks in there. So um, uh, the other things I found, this was special... A Washington senator's uh, popcorn box, and uh, Frank Howard and uh, Ted, who's this guy? Ted Williams. Anybody hear of him? Yeah. <laughs> Frank Howard and Ted Williams and, and, and their autographs on there. I was in the uh, Frank Howard fan club, and Ted Williams managed the senators for a couple of years. So, that see, all that bring, is bringing back memories. It reminds me of things that I might forget. Uh, a couple of other things, records. We have records up on, on the wall, and uh, we've got Chicago, Color My World, beautiful little song. And then we have Frank Sinatra, That's Life. We have uh, uh, Sweet Caroline. And something I was thinking about when I, then I, I brought this one along, Gone with the Wind, was that all these songs are sort of n- nostalgic for the past, about good times, and times when I overcame, and, uh, and, you know, there are these themes in there that are kind of in common. And then I got Gone with the Wind, and I thought, what is Gone with the Wind about? Anybody know what Gone with the Wind is about? Ultimately, well, the, the title gives something away. That this life this, that existed once no longer was there. It was gone with the wind. And, and that can happen uh, to, and, and those houses can, can be destroyed, but the memories can live on. Uh, Tara uh, was, was, the, was the goal at the beginning for uh, Scarlet to get back to Tara, 
her home to be there. But she gets there, and it's no longer. Her her father has lost his mind. Her mother is dead. And Tara is in, in terrible shape, and she tries to stay there and fix it up. But as life goes on, she continues to pursue prosperity, becoming rich. It's about getting the house, rebuilding what was what once was, but she can't get it back. And her life ends up a disaster because she tries to do what a lot of us do, and that's to create a home out of success and prosperity. If we just have enough money, we can buy a better house. But money can't buy you a better home, can it? And then the last thing I brought along, this is a jar of honey, and it's turned very dark over the years. This goes way back the, the fir- when we first uh, were producing honey, and I was had beehives and all there too. So I, I'm very scared to even open this and, and what might happen it, if suddenly you hear a huge explosion, when you, you know, this could be this thing being opened. No idea what would happen. So, yeah. Wait, you already had two minutes, man. <laughs> now you're going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the family picture when we were young. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, so we try to somehow capture, retain memories of home based upon these things. And, and, it, and it helps to some extent. It gives a feeling of security. But ultimately, there's something even greater than that. And it's in our scripture this morning. Uh, that Corky read, the story of, of, of uh, Jacob, which is a great story, and, and in fact, the entire story of Jacob's life. Uh, you know, Jacob had a brother, Esau. And, and one of my favorite parts of Genesis is the story of Jacob and Esau when uh, Esau is coming from one direction with his clan, with his people, and Jacob's co- uh, coming from the other. And then Jacob decides, you know what? I think I'd like to maybe stay on the other side of this river for a while. Hey, rest of my family, you go on over. He's scared of Esau and what might happen. So he kind of hides behind his family. And, and uh, he, uh, uh, this is years after this happens here. Uh, it's that story of J- Jacob wrestling with God. But this is earlier in the story. Jacob has just tricked his brother Esau and, and, uh, or tricked his father into giving him the birthright that should go to Esau. They're twins. Esau was born first. Jacob comes out pulling on the heel of Esau. So imagine these twins, and it's one little one. He's gripping onto the heel, heel, heel of his brother, and he's being pulled out. Thus the phrase, I believe, although I haven't researched this thoroughly enough to ever have it confirmed, that when somebody says that you're pulling their leg, that it goes back to this. Because Jacob's name meant deceiver. And when someone's pulling their leg, they're deceiving you. Uh, And later on, he'll live up to that name because he will deceive his father who is blind into giving him the birthright that belonged to Esau. Then Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And then his mother, Rebecca, says, you better get out of here and go go to my brother's home in Haram and go there and find a wife and settle there because Esau is going to kill you. So this is where we are when this story happens. Jacob has fled from his home, and he's out in the wilderness. He's wandering, and he comes to this place, and the sun is going down, and he decides, I better just camp out here. He doesn't have any tent or pillow or anything. So he lays down on the ground, and he takes a stone, and he puts the stone under his head. Now, I'm going to have to lay this down for a minute to show you 
This is the actual rock. <laughs> I imagine it was something like this one, okay? I tried, they wouldn't let me put it on the plane, so I had to sneak it through. But, um, so, I just bring that and show that a physical rock. Maybe think about for a moment, what would it be like to lay your head on a rock like that and try and sleep? I mean, if you ever stay in hotels, we're a little, little bit pickier than that. You know, uh, Lydia and I were just in a hotel recently, and they changed the sheets on the bed, which is good, but then they left the dirty sheets on the floor of the room. And this was a really nice hotel, and there were other things, too, that we complained about. Can you imagine if the only hotel available to you was uh, this guy sitting out there in the wilderness on the ground, and he said, yeah, 50 cents to sleep on the ground over there. Here's a, here's a rock for your pillow. It's king-size rock, so it's a good rock. And then he lays down on this thing, and he's able to sleep. I could not sleep last night. I could not sleep. And to make it worse, we got this cat that we're babysitting for a couple of months, and the cat kept was jumping up on the bed. I don't think Lydia heard it, but, but I felt it. I, I, one moment, I actually thought it was an earthquake tremor. I really, that was my first thought. And I had such a lousy sleep I was so out of it by, by the time my alarm went, went off this morning, and Lydia will attest to this, I picked up the alarm and said, hello. You know, so it's any wonder, I, I'm, I hope I'm making any sense this morning. But, but here he is out in this place, and he has this great dream. A dream that so connects him into God that he's overwhelmed. I mean, I've never gone to a hotel where at the end of the stay I say, This place is awesome. But that's what he said about this place. What made it awesome? The presence of God. The dream that said, God is here. God is in this place. And so he puts puts a, a stone monument up there and he anoints it with oil. And he says, this place is special. I'm going to call it Bethel, which means house of God. God is here. And so according to the Bible, the first thing it tells us in Genesis here is that a home uh, is a place where God is. And it doesn't matter what surroundings you have. I tell you, there are people in, in third world countries that have, have uh, existences that we cannot begin to imagine. But I've met people who have such faith in God that it doesn't matter what the physical surroundings, this place is awesome because God is here. I've seen that, and, and I believe this country, because of our, our tendency towards allowing the economic side of things to dominate everything, we have tended to put the emphasis in the wrong place. When we're raising a family, it's all about making sure every kid has their own bedroom, their own bathroom, their own this, their own that, and also they can all be separated from each other and grow up in singular existences where they don't even know each other. And then we wonder why they don't love each other. Rather than saying, no, what's most important is that our kids have a place where they know that their parents love them and that they know that God has a place in this house. And so uh, so I just came up with these uh, going through the scriptures then to reinforce what happens here, this God is here and this place is awesome from Jacob, 
these few things as, as, as I wrap up to the, to the end here. That, number one, a home, the scriptures tell us, a home is where God is put first. Joshua is very familiar with the scripture, Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see it on little plaques. People put it over their doors and all too. Uh, prior to that, though, I think it's important to see what the scriptures, the verses just before that, in which Joshua is saying to the people, Choose you this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods your fathers served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And they were, they were dwelling in a land where these gods were predominant. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's really a good call for us today because our land has many gods. Our culture has many gods. Many things are trying to pull us away. And so choose you this day in your house, in your home, who is going to be God? And in Matthew 12, Jesus himself, uh, his, his family comes to him. This is a tough scripture. I don't think everybody likes this scripture. Because, it, you know, we tend to hold family in high esteem. Especially parents in high esteem. And we should, according to the scripture. But here Jesus is told by some folks, they say, hey, you know what? Your mother and your brothers are outside And they want to talk to you. And I think Jesus knew what they wanted to talk to him about. He was embarrassing them a bit. He was going around talking crazy stuff. And rumors were getting back to them about claims about being the son of God and and about healing people and driving out demons. And they were concerned. Now, just a little add-on here. After After his death and resurrection... That same mother, those same brothers, are the most devoted followers of his his that they are. They changed their tune over time. But at that time, they were concerned. And Jesus says to his disciples, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? They're those who do the will of the Father. That's That's my mother. That's my brothers. And so a home is where God is put first, and when our obedience is to him. And, you know, I, can, I remember a time in my own life with my parents, they weren't happy about a group I was going to. It was a Christian group, but it was kind of, you know, it was back in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was a group that was uh, uh, of Jesus people, and they were kind of hippie-type, you know, folks, and, you know, worshiping out in the parking lot of McDonald's and stuff like that, and it was kind of a, you know, something that was happening, and, and, and I wanted to go to it, and I wanted to go to this little house group and, and stuff, and they, had, they weren't comfortable with this. And so I can remember being, I was in their bedroom, and we were talking about this, and, and I, had, uh, I had been at this place, and I came home, and they wanted to talk to me about it. My parents, though, you know, they listened. And I said, I said, why don't you go next time with me? Why don't you go and see what it is? And they went and they heartily endorsed it from then on. But, you know, I had to make a choice. I could have just said, okay, I will sacrifice this thing that is so important to me spiritually. And in following Jesus, I'll sacrifice it to obey my parents. Or I stood there and said, you know, why don't you come and see? And thank God they did. You know, because I think it influenced and it changed them too to be part of that. So we have to make choices at times 
But above all, we have to stand up for our faith in God. Uh, Number two, a home is a learning center. There's a lot of homeschooling going on today. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the home being a place where children are instructed and where the adults are instructed by God's word. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 19, fix these words of mine, this is God talking, in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. If you see Orthodox Jews with these leather straps and a little box, little leather box on the forehead and then also on, on the forearms, uh, inside of those little boxes are, are scrolls, very small scrolls with scripture on them about putting God first, serving God first. But he's saying, do that. And then it says, teach them, teach these words of mine to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And then Proverbs 24, 3 to 4 says, By wisdom a house is built. Not, not just by nails, not just by, by the physical structure, but by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasuries. If you want to establish a home and you want to decorate it, he's saying decorate it with God's wisdom and understanding and teachings. Uh, the third thing a home should be, it should, should be a welcome center. The Bible talks a lot about our, our uh, obligation to be a hospitable people. We're not to lock our doors and lock the world out and not open it to other people. Uh, I, I believe in this. I, I believe it's important to try to have other people over to your house. It's also important to make sure that your house is a place that you haven't closed it off. I'll tell you, when Lydia told me about this cat coming to stay with us a couple of months, I was done with cats. Our, our last cat passed away. I mourned uh, his passing, but it was our last cat. No more cat hair all over. So I wasn't happy about Zorro. And last night, Zorro keeping me up. But Zorro's a sweet cat. But I kind of in my mind said, you know, what kind of Christian are you that you won't welcome a cat into your home? You know? So I had to, you know, God spoke to me, and Zorro is there now. My, my greatest fear, you know what I'm fearing, is that my niece who's going to be in Barbados with her family, and she's supposed to take the cat with her, that will get a call. Could you just keep Zorro? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but, but anyways... Yeah, Zorro, because he he's white, but he's got this black mask over his eyes and all, too. Um, but it should be a welcome to Listen to this story in Acts 16, 33 to 34. You remember Peter and Silas? They're, they're in jail, and there's an earthquake, and the, jail, the, the, the gates open, and, and the jailer is very disturbed because he's going to get executed if they escape. But then they say, hey, Mr. Jailer, Philippian Jailer, it's okay. We're still here. We're not leaving. It's okay. And then they, they talk to him about Jesus, and they, and they bring him to faith in Jesus that very night. And he goes to his house. He, he washes their wounds and takes care of them. And it says he invites them into the house, and he prepares a meal for them. And it says the entire household were baptized, and that he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Isn't that amazing? He went from being their jailer and guard to being their host within his own household. So homes should be welcome centers. Uh, 
that, that is an essential part of being a Christian. And then finally, the final thing I think that the Bible teaches us about what a home is. And by the way, all this applies not only to the home of a, a family, but the church home too. This should be a welcome center. This uh, Friday, weather permitting, there's going to be a group coming down from uh, JMU. And they're going to be staying down in the Sunday school room area. We've had numerous groups do this. We've had mission groups. We've had pr- uh, groups working with Project Grows and all too. That should be a no-brainer for a church. Uh, I've heard of churches from time to time that would not let a group or someone use their facility because they were afraid of the damage or they were afraid of this, that, or other folks. We can fix damage, but we can't fix inhospitality. We can't fix what that makes people think about a church if we're not letting people in. So I think this church does a really good job of letting people in. The last thing is that a home is a mission center. Isaiah 58 talks about that God doesn't want religious ceremony. What he wants is authentic care for the poor and the hungry. He wants people to care about people who are being treated wrongly. And he he says, when you do this, then the light is going to rise and drive the darkness away out of your life. And and, and families that have a mission orientation... I've seen those Christian families that have mission orientation. They tend to be really happy families. And they have purpose. And they've seen things and they've learned things by being in mission to other people around them. So those are the things that I think the scriptures tell us that this church home and our personal homes need to have. Where God is put first. Where we are learning about God and his word and his will. Where uh, we are welcoming others. And when we are becoming a mission center to serve the needs of those outside. We can do that, then, you know, we're okay. We can have homecoming every year, and you can be sure you're actually coming to a home and not just to a building. Now, the last thing I'll share, this is very short here. Um, I got this back in the closet. What if I just walked into this closet and disappeared? (laughs) Like a C.S. Lewis... Like a C.S. Lewis book, right? You know, you go into the wardrobe and go into Narnia. By the way, I was there for several years just now, but in your time, it seemed like just a moment. Okay. I've shown this to you before, so, but, uh, but I love this thing. And uh, it's, it, the quote is from a, a speech back in the 18, uh, 1850s, and it was in the time when Slavery and abolition and, and uh, this particular college was very at the forefront of abolition and freeing the slaves. And the speaker said this. He said, be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. And uh, this was printed on, on an antique printing press that we used to own. And then I sold it. And then the man very generously printed this and sent it back to us. But I was thinking this week about the ultimate homecoming, our, our homecoming in heaven, and it occurred to me, what would it feel like? I know we're all going to be happy, but wouldn't you be just a little bit happier if you get up there and Jesus says, welcome home, and by the way, here's Tom and Jill and Sarah, and they're here because of you. <laughs> I've made them a home here because of you. Wouldn't that be a great feeling? As opposed to just coming in and realizing, wow, think of all the people 
who I encountered in life who aren't here. I never once told them about Jesus. So ultimately, a home is a place that is so happy that the people within it can't help but tell other people about the happiness and why they're happy. A church should be a place where the people are so in love with Jesus that they can't help but tell people about, hey, let me talk to you about this very special person in my life. So I hope that we'll be a church that does that. This morning, as, as we end and as we sing, I invite you to, uh, uh, to come forward. By the way, oh, go back, go back. This, this really blows my ending here, but I had this up here. Um, this came from my daughter. Just read it for something. Anybody relate to this? Anybody ever have a Sharpie lid, you discover it, and then you're wondering, where is the Sharpie? Especially if you have a two-year-old in the house, where is the Sharpie? And then usually you'll find they've drawn on the walls with it. But the other thing is you know that the Sharpie is going to do what? Dry out without that cap on it. It's just going to dry out. The other thing is you may sit on it and then you got before it dries out and then you got Sharpie all over you. So it's kind of a, a, a thing you don't want. But I was thinking about that this week when I saw this on my daughter. She posted this on Facebook and I thought, but you know, for our Father in Heaven, God, I think that prayer and the church and the church family and the spiritual home are sort of the cap on our lives that keeps us from drying out. Without the church, when we don't have the church and when we don't have God's word in our daily lives, we don't have prayer in our daily lives, we start to dry up. And eventually, we've lost the very purpose for which we were created. And so, uh, as we finish this morning and as we we sing this song, a song of hope and about new birth and all, I hope that uh, if you have been dried up, if you have felt spiritually dry, that you can find here a place where you can be replenished and refreshed and brought back into the purposes for which God created you. We're going to stand and sing. um, And uh, again, you're welcome to come to uh, to the communion rail and to pray there. Amen. Well, let's pray. Holy Father, as we leave this place, may we know that we are not leaving your presence. Father, everywhere you are is amazing. And we pray, Lord, that we would have uh, in your presence the faith and the, and the spiritual vitality and the love of life and the love of you that comes when we are in your presence. Father, bless each one here. And as we go to our own homes, Father, may they also be places where you are present and where your word is honored. We pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. And amen.